Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real world experience as a senior executive. So if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, let's get started. Season four of the Business Integrity School is sponsored by J.B. Hunt Transport Services, Inc. Hi, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. And as you know, we're talking about all things ESG in this season, and I am excited today to introduce you to a managing director at FTI Consulting, Alana. Hi, Alana. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Cindy? I'm just doing great. Thanks so much for being with us today, and congratulations on the new role at FTI. Before we jump into the topic, though, let me just tell everybody a little bit about uh, you and uh, what you bring to this conversation. So Alana is a subject matter expert on ESG strategic planning, and as I mentioned, she's a managing director at FTI Consulting within their strategic communications segment. Alana advises clients on the evolution of their ESG strategies and how to effectively communicate with all of their stakeholders. Prior to joining FTI, Alana led Cornerstone Government Affairs ESG practice and client service integration across Cornerstone's communications and government relations practice. She's also served as a director of policy and social responsibility at HBW Resources and as a global business analyst for Newmont, where she supported corporate environmental compliance, due diligence, organizational change management, and stakeholder engagement projects. Wow, that's a that's a lot. <laughs> it always sounds good when someone else is reading your bio. You're like, oh, that's, I, I did that. <laughs> a comes with a master's degree from John Hopkins University in global economics, and she's specialized in energy resources and environment. So welcome, Alana. Welcome to the conversation. I am just really thrilled to have the chance to talk with you today and understand a little bit more about you and uh, what FTI, your views really on ESG and where um, FTI kind of fits into the, the picture overall. So I always like the audience to get to know our guests a little bit more and how they got to where they are uh, in their careers now, just in terms of finding your passions. So can you spend just a minute or two telling us how you ended up kind of landing in this space of ESG and what it means to you? 100%. Well, thanks again for having me, Cindy. I'm really thrilled to be here on this podcast and talking about ESG. It's certainly a a front and center topic right now in the marketplace. So um, it's just it's awesome to hear that this is becoming a real focus point in it, in the academic space as well. And then for businesses for determining how to best operate in this space, hopefully they find this uh, conversation interesting. Um, I actually happenstance found ESG when I, I worked at Newmont Mining uh, before, before pursuing my master's degree. And it was this time period when I was helping that company manage their environmental compliance and mm-hmm. stakeholder engagement. And I always knew I needed to go back to get my master's degree because I was very interested in um, environmental policy and social responsibility. 
but it always kind of, it seemed to be a segment of a company. It was always kind of like that ad hoc add on, write a report, do the nice things. Um, So when I went to Johns Hopkins, I was taking a human rights class to supplement my knowledge. And my professor of that class just mentioned very briefly, there's this concept of ESG that's coming out and it ties financial value to social responsibility and best practices. And we moved right along to all these other topics. (laughs) So I, after class, I talked to her about it and said, that's fascinating to me because I just came from a company, Newmont, who this is a balance for them, you know, how you allocate capital to, you know, uh, sustainable business decisions and that's a balance. So where can I learn more about this? And it just wasn't enough of a subject yet. There were no, there was no coursework on it. Only a few universities had it. So I just asked if I could conduct an independent study. I did that. I had a couple of professors monitor me, make sure I was actually doing work in this area um, <laughs> from an economics perspective. And I just ended up building my own coursework out from a series of universities, wow. patchworked it together. And um, I came out of grad school as one of the few people who had a really good idea of what ESG meant right. from a, a value perspective, a financial right. perspective. So I just jumped right into consulting and started building out the, the service offering from that point on. So I stumbled into it. I still engage with students at Johns Hopkins and help them follow their own career paths too. You never know where, where your career takes you, but that's right. I, so I came into it. So it wasn't an, an obvious move. It was just kind of building it out myself and it just happens yeah. to be a major topic now. Yeah, that is so interesting. And oftentimes that's the way careers do get started and the way they change. They're not very linear. And sometimes you find your passion just by stumbling into it and, and you realize, wow, that's what I really want to do. That's, right. so that's that's a really cool story. And it shows that you're sort of at the tip of the spear, especially for a deep understanding of it. One of the things I notice when I read a lot of the literature out there is it's always in the title of, you know, whatever the article is or, or yeah. um, the white paper. But when you actually read through it, it isn't as comprehensive as one might think. It may focus on a particular area, you know, the climate change, or it may focus on the governance side, or, you know, it it maybe mentions social, but oftentimes the social issues end up kind of being the orphan child to the whole topic. So there, it, it, it's like, everyone's trying to figure out how all of these different pieces sort of fit together as a collective whole. And lo and behold, companies are now being, you know, held their feet to the fire because investors really want to know about it, right? Oh, yeah. So it's definitely driving it, right? Um, So do you think it's here to stay, I guess, is the question I have for you? Or do you still think it's going to be this kind of thing that you felt like at Newmont Mining over there on the side? Is it going to come or is it going to go or is it going to stay? (laughs) I, I can confidently say to all of our clients out there, to anybody thinking about who's engaging in this space, this is not a passing thing. This is a paradigm shift and this is a new reality. And I, I think it might've been a, the CEO of Apple or uh, there, there was a, um, a meeting that occurred and the CEO said, ESG is like gravity. There's, there's no point in trying to fight against it. Inevitably, it's just gonna take over. It's mm-hmm. just what we've, it's, it's what the marketplace is today. When there is, when someone discovers a better way of doing something, in this case, managing risk, identifying financial value, going back to the old way makes no sense because this is truly a holistic solution with proven benefits and the ability to create financial value that had originally been missed because 
because ESG was looked at again as a, um, a, a supplementary consideration, like emissions yeah. management, water management, human rights. But now yeah. it's been identified, it's been linked to financial value, to cost, to um, your cost, of, to revenue, profit, cost of capital, debt and equity indicators. And it, you can't turn that off now. There's too much education has gone into that. So yeah. not only that, but you know, from when I first started, there was, I don't know, 20 studies on this. There's thousands now that show the empirical capital markets value of ESG um, and, and what it means if you do it credibly, right? So everything I'm, I'm going to be talking about is not a greenwashing communications campaign. Yeah. It's actually for the companies who go in and look at their operating model and say, this is what we need to do better. And this is how we're going to do better. And these are our goals to get there. That's an ESG program. And yeah. those companies that do that, there's all these studies on the market. I think S&P just did one that shows um, companies who manage ESG risks and who are in the top quartile of the index right. doing right. that. They've outperformed the lowest quartile non-ESG risk managing companies like the lines go like this. Wow. It's just the capital markets gap between value creation, return on equity, um, volatility is, it's just, you can't dispute it. It keeps showing. And then probably the equally as important thing to mention is, let's just put that aside for a minute. Millennials and Gen Zers are inheriting all the wealth of asset management eventually. That's just the next generation of people that are going to be doing all this work. And 80 plus percent of that cohort of people believe that ESG is a fundamental factor to investing in, you know, corporate, corporate strategy management. So there's really no point in trying to avoid the inevitable when we know that as the next, the generation that's going to be retiring soon moves out, the next generation moves in with the, the people who are driving this movement right. just continue to be a part of our everyday consideration. So wow. it is here to stay. Companies need to, I think, the paradigm shift between when I started this at Johns Hopkins to now is there is no longer an opt-out clause. It is gone. The question is, how are you going to be engaging in this space? Not if. Not um, if. Our job is to help companies figure out how, different yeah. strategies, but you can't choose to yeah. not And I would say it's almost, it's not even a question of when. I mean, oh, like yeah. the expectations are now. So it really has gone from if to a question of how you jump right over the when because the when is <laughs> almost an implicit understanding that it's supposed to be now. So, you know, right. get, 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 get on the boat. So what are some of the other studies uh, you mentioned S and P, but what are some of the other ones that, that you've seen that actually kind of prove this capital market value creation that um, oh, yeah. would be good resources to look at? Do you think? Well, you know, what I can do is, you know, when, when we're done with this, I can send you a whole list of anybody yeah. who wants to see that this. would be there great. Yeah. Thousands. But well, what we can do is list some of the top ones in the show notes so that uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. folks can easily find those resources. I'm but. happy to send that out because the message I'm constantly trying to promote in front of everything else is this is not a white knuckle exercise. This is this is a capital markets you know, driven exercise so much so that regulators and legislators have come into play because they, they create the rules that drive our capital sure, markets. Right. So this is going nowhere in these studies, like for another S&P fabulous, Bank of America has done a ton of fabulous studies in this area. All these different, um, you know, Harvard, Harvard Business School has done a bunch of them to go from the academic perspective. BlackRock, a um, yes. institutional investment manager, has done a ton of them. Um, I could go on and on. And 
the important well, thing we'll is list some of them, like I said, yeah, in the show notes, think, but those yeah. are some really great ones just right there. I think yeah. to start with, in addition to the S and P or those others that you mentioned, so hundred percent, I'll get those to you. I think it'd be interesting for the viewers to, to take a look at that and see for themselves what the numbers look like and what it, what it means as they yeah. move into this space. Absolutely. That would be great. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about FTI specifically. And, and yeah, you know, we've talked about the big issue it, I agree with you. I do think it is here to stay. It's, it's kind of front and center. It's the heart and soul of businesses. Now it's like, not just go do your business, do your business in the right way where you take, right. you're taking into account all of these other issues right. um, related to the environment or the social issues or the right kind of governance issues. But where does, where does a company like FTI kind of fit into the space of ESG and companies who are trying to figure out like, what does that mean? What do we need to do and how do we do it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, FTI, one of the reasons why I came to FTI is because, you know, as a management consulting company, they have built a, a ecosystem, if you will, of resources to speak to the different needs of ESG engagements for different clients, right? So let's just take it from the top. If a company says we need an ESG program, that's uh -huh. the first step. And most companies stop right there. They're like, we don't even know what that means. We don't know how to do it, what we need from leadership, how employees play into it. So FTI comes in and provides a step-by-step -step partnership with our clients to say, you're different than someone in telecoms, than someone in cosmetics, than someone in oil and gas. We help you figure out this bizarre, robust, complex network of frameworks, standards, guidelines, rating agencies. And we manage that in a way that allows this to be um, completed in a timely, cost-efficient way, to be honest. It's so mm -hmm. complex out there that most companies are like, I don't know. I don't know where to start. So we act as a partner to make them feel like this is totally under control. But I think the reason why FTI is so unique is and where the market is headed, and we, I feel like we have a good step in the future here is we have a corporate reputations team so that when your program is in place, we get the communications out. It doesn't matter if you do something right, if you're not communicating it, particularly to the generation of social media. Right. You can't just afford to write a report and shove it on a shelf and say, we did it. You mm -hmm. have to actually show the communities in which you operate, your investors, regulators, that you're doing all the right things that speak to these different groups. We have a team for mm -hmm. that. We have economists that do scenario analysis for climate change impact and assessment studies. So it's no longer enough to say, sure, we support climate change, which is actually huge. You know, a few years ago, that was not even a thing, but companies now are doing that. You can't just say you support it. You have to show how your governance structure speaks to how you manage climate change and how your emissions profile contributes to the two degrees or 1.5 degrees scenario. We have economists that do that. So it's not fluffy. It's hard and it's hard facts right. that tie to your value. Right. Data management teams, that the ecosystem is being built around the center of our ESG engagement team. And we proactively pull the people who need to be pulled in to speak to the needs of what the client is trying to do holistically. Because yeah. like the way we started this, Cindy, is ESG is no longer an opt-out clause because it drives value. Value isn't found in one aspect of a company. It's mm -mm. strategic. Exactly. And so anybody who tells you it's an easy implementation, that's not right. I'd caution companies against that because this actually, it's a mind shift. How do you, how do you perceive risk and value and drive to it? So that's how FTI does it. 
um, our, at least in my perspective, my priority is to make them feel comfortable doing this so that when we're done part in our partnership, they can run and continue doing this long into the future and be sustainable and be good corporate citizens. And that's my goal as we, you know, partner with our clients to do this type of work. Yeah. Well, I find it, I find it fascinating that, uh, so many companies are still at the very, I would call it at the beginning of the continuum, as you described by mm-hmm. simply saying, we don't have an ESG program and we don't know what that means. And how do we, how do we go about doing that? Yeah. I would suspect that once you get into it and start explaining to them what it really means, that isn't there some kind of awakening of the, uh, within them and saying, oh, well, you know what? We actually do that. We just haven't pulled it that thread through the way you're talking about. Now we may have a few gaps, but we're doing some of that and we're doing some of this and we're doing a little of that. And yeah. we just need to pull it together and then analyze our data and maybe find where the gaps are. Is that a hundred percent. You nailed it. This is why no, no company, no CEO, no, anybody making this decision should shy away from it because this seems too big or too impossible. Yeah. We're already doing 75% yeah. of this. You just didn't yeah. know that it didn't. speaks to right. S or G. And yeah. our job is to frame that in a way that's meaningful and authentic. Yeah. And right. And, and find out where the gaps are, right? Because oh, this is a journey. This is a huge mm-hmm. journey. Like n- no company is there yet. And and so the part of it is I would think probably also figuring out once they understand it, apply their own data and, and uh, information to it, then figuring out, okay, what does our picture look like now? Where are we on this continuum? And where do we, where do we want to be? And why do we want to be there? And how are we going to talk about it once, you know, once we do get there and, and explain where we are on the journey? Oh, is, yeah. that dif- is that different for, for different companies, depending on the, the, the type of business they're in? Oh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that there's a specific industry that I'd point to and say, yikes, you guys, like you got it, you got to ramp it up. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most interesting aspects of this entire paradigm shift is there are some companies who are leaders, just like any, any change management curve, they're out front and they're doing it and they're figuring out the way to make this work and they're trailblazing. Everybody's looking to them to say, how did you do it? You know, what are you doing? Yeah. The interesting piece of this is a lot of companies are waiting to see what their peers are doing. Uh, and a lot of peers are doing the minimum because that's what they had time to do, or that's what they, they felt comfortable doing. And why would you report out your full emissions profile if you think you're going to get in trouble for it? And if none of your peers are doing it, would that right. impact how an investor looks at you? If you're trying to be the good guy and do a full transparent report when everybody else is being a little less forthcoming into what their full picture looks like that's more of the issue that we're finding. And so the good news is, is within this past year with BlackRock support of this, with with driving towards all the change and sustainability and the global focus on this, we're seeing companies say, you know what? We can have one-off conversations with our investors to explain an event that might happen, an emissions event, a water event, a, a governance event. We'll put it out there and we're willing to stand by the fact that we have a framework to be repeatable and transparent in our processes. That's what matters. Every company missteps. It's just, how do you manage to that? How do you make sure it won't happen again? How do you make sure that that doesn't sink your company? That's what's important. So industries, there are some industries who are a little bit more, you know, ahead than others. For example, oil and gas. 
mm. is one of the industries that's been under the microscope for years. They had no choice but to engage in this space early. Yeah. Um, and then ExxonMobil felt it in spades oh, this did. spring at their shareholder meeting. I Engine think, number the... one threw everybody for a loop. We're like, wow. <laughs> and now look what happened. That's right. Everybody just kind of paused and said, that's fascinating. So again, yeah. do engage in it. There's no there's no reason why you shouldn't. Nothing good will come of sticking your head in the sand and, and staying quiet. There's no yeah. reason to do that. Or as the stewards of the company, like board members and management, it's part of their fiduciary responsibility to lead a company responsibly. This is part mm -hmm. of it. This mm -hmm. is what it takes. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the, the key is capture what you are doing and not getting credit for and fix the things that need to be fixed to drive value and risk management in the future. Mm -hmm. it's, it's that simple. And mm -hmm. there's a way to manage that process and really hone in mm -hmm. on the opportunities that present itself within companies and industries. Yeah. And, but then you have to talk about it, like you mentioned. Oh, yeah. And I think that's where, to your point, companies are a little hesitant stepping out there first because they, they may be managing all of that internally, which they need to be doing. And, and many have been doing for years, but then the question is, how do you talk about that externally in a way that is going to be transparent and authentic, but not create legal liability, right? Oh, hundred percent, which is yeah. why when we come into a company, we do this cross-functionally and the legal team is one of our best friends. We yeah. keep in close contact with them because in no way are we going to recommend a company report X when the legal team is like, so just so you know, that'll, that'll put us in this position and this is what mm -hmm. it'll lead to. Mm -hmm. the, the powerful programs, the most successful ones are the ones that are cross-functional. Mm -hmm. We have accounting, legal, communications, um, HR, uh, uh, health, safety, and environment. All those different segments come into right. an ESG working group. Yep. We provide advisory support to that working group. And the most important aspect beyond anything I can say on this podcast is leadership has to disseminate and empower the company to make decisions on behalf sure. of their ESG strategies. Sure, it sure. comes from the top. That's yeah. the culture. So yeah. that's the opportunity of you're going to communicate it, do it, but do it in a way that's, you know, aware. Right. And that won't put you in a bad position because the whole point of this is to show that you're managing risk, not creating risk right. for your company. So right. it's, it's, right. a, it's and a delineation. Yeah, but you can't you can't manage that risk if you're not aware of the risk, right? So 100%. You, Mm -hmm. Gotta figure it out first. So, are there any other industries other than oil, oil and gas that you think sort of stand out as being at the bleeding edge of of dealing with ESG yeah. issues? You know, there's there are industries that I think are doing a really great job when in specific areas. Like, for example, um, in consumer products, their their supply chain work. Yeah. Fabulous. I mean, yeah. that is, that is hard. It's hard. <laughs> that that's yeah. really hard. Yeah. I'm sure as all your, your students know and businesses know supply chain work is so wickedly complex that it takes commitment to do that. And we're seeing consumer yeah. product, the, the verticals of consumer product really delve into that. Like the Estee Lauders, the L'Oreal's, whatever, they're really moving into that space. Unilever's they're, they're creating those case studies that we're talking about before. Mm -hmm. um, what I really appreciate about, you know, uh, the technology segment, like the Facebooks, the Microsofts, technology and innovation is one that they're driving. They're showing the world what it can look like to use big data, smart, you know, AI to manage carbon emissions, to manage all these different aspects yeah. of, you know, aggregating data into meaningful pieces of intelligence and, and report that out. 
So that's, mm -hmm. that's the tech space and they're really leading in that. Um, I think a cross industry topic that I'm proud to say is front and center now for the obvious racial inequality and injustice we saw last summer is DEI. Mm -hmm. um, every company that we work with and that we propose to work with has DEI as a as a piece of their proposal and valuation. Yeah, yeah. So and they should. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was. I think that that, that has, is one of the uh, issues that helped almost reach helped ESG reach the tipping point, right? That and COVID yes. combined in terms of just the way companies thought about health and safety and social justice. And then, you know, climate change, of course, is there. Yes. Is there any particular area of ESG where you see, oh, I don't know, maybe some reluctance or resistance to change? Um, I think one of the current events, one of the things that we're seeing is, you know, NASDAQ put out a proposal that they were going to require all the companies listed on their index to have um, diversity of the board. That got a lot of pushback um, because, Interesting. yeah, because, you know, and to be honest, I mean, I understand why when you have board members, those are, you know, they're, they're an election cycle, right? It's not easy to just say, you know what? Let's bring in a new process. Like there are filled seats on a board and there can be real knowledge and, and strategy that's already there. But it's been proven that when you bring in diverse perspectives, it makes you that much more valuable. So the question that companies are navigating is how do we do that? Yeah. Do we wait till the next election cycle to right. you know, bring in our diversity st strategy or right. do we create an extra seat? Right. Do we increase yeah. the size of the board? And exactly. yeah, yeah. And do we, do we lower our retirement age and therefore some will age out? You know, what do we, what do we do? Yeah. That, and that's the opportunity is that's it. It didn't get pushed back in the sense of we're not going to do it. It got pushed back in the sense of what's the timeline we're supposed to do this by? Right, right. Um, so that's more what the most current event um, opportunity was to say, okay, listen, we're not going to necessarily kick you off the index, but just show us you have a plan in place yeah. to yeah. do this. Like any change at all, it, it creates that, that reaction that causes pain in people to say like, this is different than what I know. But once, yeah. once people and companies feel comfortable with what others are doing and the right. flexibility associated with the expectation, they come along their path a little bit. It's just that initial, that initial scare that kind of yeah. gets them in that space. But that was one of the more yeah. recent ones that we saw that uh, companies are working through now and doing actually a phenomenal job getting creative and bringing diversity onto their boards as they should. Yeah. Yeah, as they should. I agree. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we talked at the beginning of this uh, episode about ESG in the past. It was this new topic. It was sort of, you know, over here on the side, siloed a bit, not core to the business. And then we, I, I would say we sort of moved through a phase in corporate America, at least for public companies, many of them putting out sustainability reports. However, if you looked at a lot of them, they were very aspirational yes. as opposed to uh, measurement of uh, where they were on the journey. And so I think now this moment that we've arrived at, companies are recognizing that they actually need to be able to report out some measurement of where they are on, yes. on different um, aspects, whether it's climate change or social justice or DEI or diversity of the board. So for companies that are trying to move from aspirational to hard metrics, right. um, 
that's a bit of a transition. And so if a, if a, if a, if a company like comes with that sort of a pro- portfolio yeah. uh, where they've been sort of very aspirational on the marketing end of it, but now need to get all the way over here and maybe their data doesn't look quite as good as they thought, what, what should a company do in that space? Do they scrap all of their aspirational sort of uh, uh, comments about where they hope they be and just start over? Or do they try to fill that gap? What do you think? The most important thing that we talk to our clients about is be authentic. So if we're working with a client that says, we promised the world, we said we'd be net zero by 2022, right? And it's like, "Mm, that's a lot, you know, (laughs) if if, if they've just done a lot of qualitative, if you will, fluff with no data behind it, no strategy, no roadmap, no nothing, that now is a liability. That is a, that is a bad thing to do now. You cannot get away with that anymore. A few years ago, it was enough to say that you were thinking about it. It's no longer enough. You have to show your strategies. So we go back to a company and say, let us conduct a few assessments that drive your value, which is a stakeholder engagement perspective. Who do you need to reach out to and have you been doing that? And what information are you giving them? That helps us assess what data each different group needs. What communities are looking for is different than what investors are looking for. Yeah, it is. The metrics and targets that we use in that delineation change depending on their stakeholder groups. We determine, as you, I'm sure you've heard, something a materiality assessment. It's no longer enough to say, I care about climate change, emissions are bad, and water should be fresh. It's like, yeah. okay, but you're a telecom company. So that doesn't really make sense because you don't really drive at huge emissions events and you don't really, you don't use a lot of water. So let's go ahead and identify the metrics that are valuable and drive um, long-term risk management opportunity for your industry. Yeah. Go through and identify that so that they can meaningfully create KPIs and targets that show where they are today and where they can credibly be two, three, four, five years down the road. Yeah. If you don't have measurable progress where you can see tracking and trending, your net management will never know what's happening. They'll never right. know how they're improving or how they're declining. So creating metrics, we, we, I don't want to say we start from scratch because usually the companies who started off with those communication campaigns have innovative innovative concepts as to where they want to be. Uh They just didn't have a roadmap quite yet. So we leverage that work and take it to the next step and give them meaningful metrics to drive every decision that they're going forward of value creation. So that's how we would approach that a little bit differently. But I, we, we do try to tell clients, be careful what you're promising. It is much harder to walk back a broken promise Mm -hmm. than it is to be authentic and proactive, but also credible in what you can achieve. And we can always change your goals as they, as you can see, they can be evolved. Don't break mm-hmm. promises. That looks mm-hmm. way worse. So that's yeah. how we work with our clients on that. Yeah. So how do you measure success with your clients? How do you, how do you know whether or not your work has really helped them move along the continuum in this ESG journey? Yeah, there's a few ways that we track that for them. So first of all, just getting a report out there and helping them, you know, what we talked about before, Cindy, of getting credit for what they're already doing. That's a Uh, win right off the bat. A lot of companies don't have that and it's our job. So we right off the bat know that that was what they needed. We get it out there. But that's where the interesting piece of this begins. Once you're live, you're live. Now, (laughs) like now rating agencies come in, uh-huh. you know, that there's other groups like credit groups, like the S and P and Fitch and whatever, who are looking and evaluating your company based on yes. your disclosures. So yeah. 
we the the next step of our engagement to determine if it's successful is you know you're you're going to get a number or a letter saying how well you're doing we help you continually tell your story to make sure that you're getting all the credit in that number so for you know these these rating agencies use big data to gather what you're doing in your public disclosures we make sure that if anything gets missed or if they have the wrong you know information about what you have been doing we engage with you to continue your success and say no they did have a climate change plan no they do have a human rights policy this is what you need to know about them so got it Success continues. Success is iterative. It just keeps going. You have, once you do ESG, kind of like SEC reporting for your 10K, uh-huh. you got to keep doing it. It's just yeah. part of it. And we keep, we keep up with them. Yeah. We enable that success and just yeah. help them keep moving. That also, listening to this entire uh, episode also makes me think about if companies, many of them, as we talked about, have been doing this, right? But maybe didn't realize it. And to, to your point, once you start measuring, you have to continue measuring. It's just like SEC reporting. So aren't companies, some of them maybe lacking resources to do that because they haven't organized themselves that way? Yeah, that's probably one of the number one reasons there's been a slight lag and everybody just jumping into this right away. Not yeah. every company is an Exxon. Not every company right. is a an Allstate. Not every company has the, the resources to do this. The, the key thing is what can a, a company do with the resources, human capital and financial resources that it has? Right. The answer is there is an, the answer is there's a solution for every size company. There are, there are frameworks out there, the Sustainable Accounting Standards Board, SASB. That's the framework that BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard are promoting because they have done years of due diligence with all the important stakeholder groups to say, these are the top 10 to 15 metrics only that you need to touch on. Don't worry about building an 80-page report. Don't worry about that. Just give us a report on how you're managing these top 10 to 15 metrics that have been identified in your industry as the most financially valuable risk, risk, you know, mitigating topics within your industry. Yeah. That is a great place to start. Exactly. It gets them their foot in the door and it's all they need to do. You, you don't have to boil the ocean. You just have to start. Yeah. You don't let the enemy, don't let perfect be the enemy, enemy of, of good. good. Yeah. You, you just need to, you need to get in there. And yeah. the hard part is, as we're seeing that there are, you know, um, uh, consulting firms that try to keep telling companies, you got to do this and this and this. The, the thing that I can say is companies, <laughs> if you're doing this, you know what you can put in time-wise, human capital-wise, there is a way for you to solve this. Start yeah. small, make it meaningful, make it credible, and go from there. Right. That's what matters the most. And yeah. then you can take it year two and three, wherever you want to go, but um, yeah. just start. That is a great place to end this discussion, Alana. It's been fabulous. And before we completely say goodbye to the audience, I always like to give uh, the guest an opportunity to recommend some book or maybe uh, uh, something you've listened to, like a podcast series or a documentary, something that you think would be a good additional resource um, for the audience to, you know, take a look at or read or watch if they wanted to learn more about this topic on their own? Uh, Well, podcasts are plentiful. And so again, I'll send you some examples. But one thing I I would love, the New York Stock Exchange is going to be thrilled that I'm promoting this, but I recently (laughs) came across a weekly publication called 
um, the NYSE New York Stock Exchange ESG top five. Ah. In this day and age where everybody has a million emails and a million things right. to do, what I love is it's weekly and it's short. It's just five headlines of things that are happening all over the world related to ESG and they capture wow. that in a synthesized way. It keeps you dangerous knowing what's going on. It keeps you aware and it that's allows great. you to speak to ESG in a way that's a current event led right. driven approach. So that's great. I would tell listeners, go go look at that. Just make that a small piece of your day just to scan through that take yeah. five minutes. And yeah. then you, you really have a good feeling for what for what's going on in the space on a weekly basis. Yeah. Cool. And and just be informed. I mean, any student who's going to go join a company and anybody who's currently working but wants to understand the paradigm shift, that's a quick, easy way that they can sort of fit into their regular routines and still stay current. So I love that suggestion. That's great. Great. My pleasure. Well, Alana, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for helping to share your wealth of knowledge and experience and help to educate uh, our entire audience. I really appreciate it. And it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Cindy. I had a lot of fun and um, I I look forward to keeping in touch and let me know if you ever have a part two of these podcasts. (laughs) Absolutely. We'll dive deeper. Thanks, Alana. Bye-bye. Cindy. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S, which stands for The Business Integrity School. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.